following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody, clap your hands real big now. Yes, sir. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, are you happy tonight? And if they're not smiling, say, notify your face. There's no sense in coming to church and being mad about it. There's no sense in coming to the house of God and being upset. This is a place where you get set up, not upset. And what a joy to be in God's house. We call this halftime. If you uh, go ahead and clap, that's good. That's all right. That's all right. We call it halftime because there's some people that's had a rough first half of the week and so it's a little pep talk to you on Wednesday night to help you get better in the last of the week. And if you've had a great week this week, that's wonderful, that's awesome, but we're going we're gonna to make you score three or four more extra touchdowns on the enemy in the back half because I just believe that Wednesday night is the life, the life of a church. And I've always believed that people that come to church on Wednesday night truly do, and I mean this, I don't care if it's your first time, truly do love Jesus. You love the Lord in your life. And so thank you for being here tonight. It's such an honor. I am Pastor Rex. I'm senior pastor here, and we're delighted to have you. I have a dear friend over here that goes to a Bible study that I go to in San Marcos. It's his first visit. His name is Ted McKinnon. Right over here, Mr. Ted, would you wave your hand? That's my buddy right there. Amen. What a joy. And I, I wanted to call him out because I wanted to call him out. Uh, he, he, uh, the man sitting to his right is named David Elliott. He's my, he's my dear friend. And, and, and Mr. McKinnon is getting us a golf trip out at Horseshoe Bay at the summit course. And uh, I don't think we have to pay. Now, if that don't work, Ted, that's all right. If that don't work, we'll pay. But I don't think we have to pay. Stand to your feet, you're incredible people. I love you. What a joy. We're going to do that Thursday week. Are you enjoying the ghost? Yes. Are you enjoying the ghost? We're talking about the ghost, ghost part two. <laughs> and this isn't Patrick Swayze. Uh-uh, uh-uh, this ain't Patrick Swayze. This is uh, the bald-headed preacher from West Texas. All right. Luke chapter 6, verse 1, a little passage here. Stay with me, don't leave me came to pass on the second Sabbath after the first. That, that makes sense, the second after the first. That he went through the cornfields and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and ate, ate them and rubbing their hands, them in their hands. And certain of the Pharisees said to him, why do, you, why do you that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath days? And Jesus said to them, have you not read this, what David did when he himself was hungry and they which were with him? How, how he went into the house of God and did take and eat the showbread and gave also to them that were with him, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest alone. And he said unto them that the Son of Man, uh, that the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Say, he's Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Verse 6, and it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught, and there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day and that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts 
And he said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil? That's a good question. To save a life or to destroy a life. And looking around about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Pretty good stuff. Pretty good stuff. We're teaching on the Holy Spirit. We're teaching about the ghost. The reason I call this the ghost, years ago in Dallas, Texas, I was a young man and several family members of a particular old patriarch were coming in receiving Christ in their life and many of them being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they wanted me to go out and talk to him about it. And when I came in, he knew who I was. And he kind of backed off and he said, don't come close to me with that ghost. I don't want any of that ghost on me. And back in that day, they thought that people threw powder on people, you know, baking powder or whatever. Or they did some seance over them. And, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> and he said, I don't want any of that powder thrown on me either. And, and I made him a friend. I made him a friend, but I never got him in church. But he was my buddy. He was my buddy. He, he gave me good coffee when I go out and see him. But what a joy. I'm teaching tonight on the ghost. Everybody say the ghost. You may be seated. I won't be lengthy. I promise you that. Communion tonight. I hope you've got your communion cups with you. It's a beautiful night, the first Wednesday of the month. In 1926, there was a, a wealthy Toronto lawyer named Charles Millar who died. And he left behind his will that amused and electrified citizens of the province that he was a part of. See, Millar was a bachelor with a wicked sense of humor. And he stated clearly that he intended his last will and testament to be an uncommon and capricious document. He had no close heirs to inherit his fortune, so he divided his money and properties in a way that amused him and aggravated the newly chosen heirs. Here's a few examples of his strange bequest. He left shares in the Ontario Jockey Club, the racetrack, to two prominent men who were well known for their opposition to racetrack betting. <laughs> He's a funny old man that just died. He bequeathed shares in the O'Keefe Brewery Company, a beer company, to every Protestant minister in Toronto. <laughs> Go get you some free beer. But his famous bequest was that he would leave his fortune to the Toronto woman who gave birth to the most children in 10 years after his death. The last clause in his will caught the public fancy concerning the women who produced the most children over a 10-year period, the country was entering the Great Depression when he passed. And as people struggled to meet even their most basic economic responsibility, the prospect of enormous windfall was quietly, uh, quite naturally alluring. Newspaper reporters studied the public records to find likely contenders for what became known as the Great Stork Derby. <laughs> Nationwide excitement escalated in Canada. In 1936, four mothers, proud producers of nine children apiece in a 10-year time span. The husbands evidently never went to work. <laughs> Divided up the Millar fortune, each receiving what was a staggering sum in those days, $125,000 a family. Charles Millar caused much mischief with his will. This was his final legacy to humanity. Now, that's Charles Millar. Let's talk about legacies for a moment. Let's talk about them. 
When Jesus left this earth, he bequeathed a legacy to his followers. He left his Holy Spirit to comfort, to guide, to empower all those that God had called them to be. This Wednesday night, this Wednesday night right here, 6-5-2019, I celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit on the church. Come on, clap your hands. We celebrate that tonight. We celebrate that tonight. Anyone want to join in on the celebration? Turn to somebody and say, I'm so glad the Holy Spirit's alive and well on planet earth. Joel said, in the last days, the Lord would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, upon sons and upon daughters and upon servants and handmaids. Notice, he did not say that God would pour his spirit in all men, but he would pour it on all men. But I believe that sometime in life, all men, all men will encounter the Holy Spirit. I believe that with all my heart because it's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The story in Luke chapter six is disciples eating corn on the Sabbath. They were a hungry bunch and they did it with unwashed hands and the Pharisees complained and Jesus spoke of David eating the showbread back in the tabernacles in the Old Testament. Bread meant for the priest and he gave not only Himself bread, he gave it to his men. And Jesus seems to be saying in a veiled way, in a veiled way, don't ever try to stop a hungry man from eating. Hungry men have no manners. They'll eat with unwashed hands. They'll eat in the middle of a cornfield. I remember daddy spanked my brother and I one time when we was boys. We called it whippings when we got older, but it was spankings when we was little. Because we got watermelon hungry in the field. And we started busting watermelons open and it wasn't to our liking because it wasn't sweet enough. So we busted another one. We broke about 10 watermelons, two kids, 10 years old and 8 years old. And daddy made us eat it until we were sick of watermelon. (laughs) But here's what I want to declare to you about hunger. Hunger drives people. Hunger moves people. When there's hunger and thirsting after righteousness, Jesus said they would be filled. What we need in this hour is a hunger because hunger cannot be stopped by any pharisaical tradition because there's no tradition stronger than hunger, but hunger is stronger than any tradition in this world. And I want to declare something, and I'm not beating and berating churches, but when the Holy Spirit is hid in the basement, and it's not a part of the church of the living God, you hear me, there's no need to hang around, because he's never going to get up out of the basement in that church. But you need to go to a place where hand clapping is free, and where lifting your hands is awesome, and where receiving all that God has for you is awesome. And if you come hungry to this house, If you come hungry to this house, you will leave filled because he that hungers and thirsts will be filled. Sabbath days do not quiet hunger. Pharisee laws do not hinder eating corn with unwashed hands. God will never embarrass you and this church will never embarrass you. But if you desire for and hunger after the things of God, you hear me, 
you shall be filled. God is a gentleman. He will not force himself on anyone. When the day of Pentecost came, this really was just a feast day in Israel. In the Old Testament, it was the day of giving of the law and the Ten Commandments and the moral, civil, and ceremonial law of Israel. But on this day in the second chapter of the book of Acts, the disciples were together in one place when suddenly a sound like a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. And disciples had gone to an upper room. It had no parameter. It had parameters, but no roof. It was open air. See, there were three mandatory feasts in a year. Seven feasts filled the calendar year for the Israeli people, but three were mandatory. First was Passover. You know about Passover. When Israel came out of Egypt, they had to slay a Paschal lamb and put the blood on the door and over the lintel. And when the death angel came, he would pass over the house that had the blood of the lamb. And I still believe, I still believe that the blood of the lamb protects us from evil and protects us from death. Hear what I want to tell you. Listen to me. Listen to me. If the blood of a four-footed lamb would stop God's death angel from killing the firstborn, you listen, the blood of a two-footed lamb of God on your house will stop the fallen angel Lucifer from destroying your house. Put the blood of the lamb on your house. Plead the blood of the lamb on your house. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's an awesome thing. Everybody say Passover. Passover. And then the second was Pentecost. Pentecost was a feast day. Pentecost was the day of the giving of the law to Moses on top of Mount Sinai. But in the New Testament, Ezekiel said, Ezekiel said about the New Testament Pentecost that there would come a day when he would take away the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. And he would write the new laws, not on stone tablets, but in the hearts of men. And that's what God desires when he fills you and touches your life with his grace and his mercy. Thank you, Lord, for Pentecost in our life. And then there was a feast called Tabernacle. It was the end of the year, end of the year feast. It went for eight days. It started with praise. It ended with praise. They lived on booths in top of their houses. And they got up every morning praising God from their rooftops. It was literally eight days of praise and worship. So here's what I'm declaring. You need to be covered by the blood. You need to experience Pentecost. And you need to understand what lifting your hands and praising God on top of your roof is all about. In other words, what I'm saying, don't let your praise be a hidden thing. I'm not asking you to go into H-E-B and start shouting and hollering, hallelujah. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. But I declare that when something comes on your life, trying to take away your gift of praise and worship, you need to lift your hands on top of your roof and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. You got to do that. You got to do that. God said, I'll pour out my spirit, but I will not go through any man-made thing to get to my people. If you'll, if you'll trust my blood, if you'll trust my experience, if you'll trust my praise factor, I will fill you and touch your life with my glory. The disciples saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came and rested on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. And what I mean by that, that's what I mean. Also gathered in Jerusalem for that Pentecost celebration were devout Jews from many nations, 17 to be exact. And when they heard the commotion, a crowd of them came together in bewilderment. 
because each one heard the disciples speaking in his own native tongue. They were utterly amazed and they asked, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? So a man from Spain heard Spanish and a man from Portugal heard Portuguese and a man from Africa heard Swahili and a man from, 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 from Asia heard Chinese or Korean. What I'm trying, they said oh, all these men who are speaking Galileans, Galileans were looked down on. They were looked on as the dumb people, as the people that didn't get it. But when they were speaking with another language in their life, everybody was saying, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of the disciples and said, they have too much wine. Oh, I love it. And at this point, Simon Peter said to the crowd, these men are not drunk as you suppose. They are drunk, but not like you think they are. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And, and even drunks don't drink that early. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on all people and your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. The day of Pentecost was and is the birthday of the church and we celebrate the birthday of the church that happened in Jerusalem. I'm thankful because Pentecost fell and the Bible said when the day came, that word day in the Greek means epoch, which means not a 24 hour period, but an age. Pentecost is still alive today. The Holy Spirit's still around today. The presence of God still abides and abounds and loses people's lives today. And every one of us can run slap dab into the Holy Spirit here tonight. Clap your hands real big and say, it's time to bless the Lord in my life. It's time. See, before Pentecost, the disciples had been a ragtag crew of well-meaning but ineffectual followers. But after Pentecost, these same disciples became such powerful witnesses that it was said of one of the disciples, Simon Peter, that the mere shadow passing over a physically distressed person could bring healing to that person. Before Pentecost, the disciples were fearful. They were fickle to followers who could not be depended upon even to stay awake while Jesus was praying for one hour. But after Pentecost, they were willing to face persecution, even surrender themselves to torture and to death in order to testify that this same master had been raised from the dead. Before Pentecost, they were pathetic, listless, and introverted. After Pentecost, they were filled with power, Holy Spirit power, and they went out to win the world. Do you hear me? They turned the world upside down. In the Old Testament, people possessed land. After Pentecost, God possessed people. <laughs> In the Old Testament, people drew water from the land. After Pentecost, now out of their inner beings flowed rivers of living water. In the Old Testament, people grew fruit from the land. In the, after Pentecost, we're known by our fruits. See, after Pentecost, it's no longer important for us to inhabit the land, but for God to inhabit us. Everybody say it this way. Christ in me, Christ in me. Is, the is the hope of glory. This is Christ's legacy to the world. This is his will. You ready? A spirit-filled church. Amen. Now, I want to declare something to you. I thank you folks for always being hungry for things of God. I thank you for that. It makes me weep when I think how hungry you folks are for the things of God. But I also thank you for not being so ridiculous with what God is doing in your life because real praise and worship is not five, six hundred people watching one person have a show. Real praise and worship is all six hundred of us lifting our hands 
and magnifying God and not worrying about the person next to us, what they're going to get from God that I don't get. I promise you there's enough of God in this house right now to go around. There's enough healing for everybody in this house. There's enough deliverance for everybody in this house. There's enough hope for everybody in this house. There's enough faith for everybody in this house. Come on, God's no respecter of person. He loves you. Everybody say, he loves me. I read something years ago. There was a baseball player that played for the San Francisco Giants named Rex Hudler. I loved his first name. And they called him Rex Hurricane Hudler. And he was released one year after batting 238 in spring training. He didn't hit the ball well. And he said when he was released from spring training of the San Francisco Giants, he said, I was downgraded from a hurricane to a tropical depression. (laughs) I love that. God has called his church to be a wind of the spirit, a hurricane. And I refuse to let CLC in South Austin be downgraded to a tropical depression. I want people that walk in this place to feel the presence of God. I want them to know that they have been to church. I want them to walk in maybe feeling down, but walk out feeling a whole lot better. I want them to walk in maybe feeling a little depressed, but walk out feeling like I can whip a bear with a switch. I want them to walk in saying, you know, I need healing in my body, but walk out and say, I've been healed by the presence of God. Because if God gets in their life, we'll see them again the next service and the next service. We need church to be church at Christian Life Austin in South Austin. Clap your hands real big. Amen. Story is told about an employee who did so little work that he was fired. And a friend came to the boss and said, I want to apply for the vacancy that Joe left. The boss said, Joe did so little he didn't leave a vacancy. That could be said of some churches. If they disappeared, they wouldn't leave a vacancy. A man was overheard to say, I was making 300000 a year and had 75 people under me, a condo in Aspen, and was being considered for the United States Senate. Then I switched to decaffeinated coffee. <laughs> Christianity without an emphasis on the Holy Spirit is like faith on decaf. A faith that is only intellectual and rational without any trace of enthusiasm is not a faith that empowers people to live out their faith. Everybody say, I want some enthusiasm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That means in Theo, in God in us as the I am. Enthusiasm. We need God in us as he is. And God is an enthusiastic God to reach this world through his church. George, George Knowles wrote a book called A World to Love and tells about a party of explorers who found themselves perplexed by something they found in a remote African jungle. In a clearing, they discovered 35 carefully laid fires that had never been lit. They had the appearance of 35 little teepees with dry leaves surrounded by small dry twigs and finally larger pieces of wood arranged in a good boy scout fashion. Who built the fires? Why had not even one been lit? And the mystery cleared up when the explorers saw dozens of chimpanzees watching from the trees. See, the chimps had watched campers and copied the art of fire building, but they had no fire. God helped the church today. 
We've been trained in fire building. But many churches have no fire. There's a growing recognition that faith must involve the head and the heart. Not just intellectual, but spirit led. Emotionally led. The 20th century showed a decline in the emphasis on the Holy Spirit. In the 21st century, even though we're seeing great things, there's still a decline in preaching about it. It also showed a steady decline in the membership of mainline churches. 3,000 churches closed every, close every year. I want to declare something right now. We sang it. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. A few years back, Peter Jennings did a news special entitled In the Name of God. And he interviewed the founder of Vineyard Christian Fellowship, a man named John Wimber. You might have read some of his books. And Wimber said that the first time he went to church, he expected dramatic things to happen. And after attending three Sundays, he was frustrated. He said following the third service, he talked to an official looking man and asked him, when did they do it? (laughs) Do what? The man said. The stuff, Wimber, Wimber said. The stuff. What stuff? Said the man. The stuff in the Bible. When do they do the stuff? What do you mean, said the man? He said, you know, multiplying loaves and fish and feeding the hungry, laying hands on the sick and healing them and giving sight to the blind, that stuff. Oh, the man replied apologetically, we don't do that. We believe in it and we pray about it, but we don't do it. Oops. Do we still do that stuff in our churches? Is it still happening? The great preacher Vance Havner was preaching on a passage from Joel. In this story, the Israelites are not living as God-chosen people, and their faith seems to lack any power. And pagan people around them look at their religious ceremonies and they sneer, where is your God, they say. And Havner believes this message hit too close to home for modern Christian churches. And he said, there ought to be enough, what's this now, divine electricity, <laughs> In every church, to give everybody in the congregation either a charge or a shock. Anybody need their battery charged here tonight? Come on, can I preach a little bit? You're going you're gonna to let me preach a little? He went on to say, what do you mean by saying an onward Christian soldier when most of your army has deserted the army? I agree with Joel, he continued. I'm embarrassed when pagans walk by our empty churches and look at our feeble ceremonies, see us swapping members from church to church and moving corpses from one mortician to another and preaching a dynamite gospel and living a firecracker life. Oh God, give me the spirit of disciples in the cornfield. Don't let me worry about tradition. Don't let me worry about being intimidated by denominations that have made the Holy Spirit a silent third party. Lord, don't let the denominal side rob us of the phenomenal side of the book of Acts. Say it. Don't let the denominal side rob us of the phenomenal side of the book of Acts. See, it will happen when we open ourselves to the same power that created the church in the first place. Now, I want to start wrapping this up a little. I confess I look at my own life as a pastor. I think of the times I could have perhaps been a bolder witness for the Lord. I don't like conflict. I hate it. I don't like to make people uncomfortable when I start preaching on the Spirit. But I want our church to be a happy place, and I want you to like me, see? But we as a church are just scratching the surface of what we could be as a congregation if we yielded ourselves completely to the Holy Spirit.
It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. There are some people in our community. Go ahead and clap. That's all right. Go ahead. That's all right. It's fine. There are people in our community who needs what this church has to offer. I like something Robert Shuler wrote in the introduction to one of his books. He said this, how much is a sprinkler head worth? And then he answered, it all depends. Not much on a shelf in a hardware store, but attached to a water line and it will bring life to plants and flowers and fruit and feeding the human race. Life and death, they're in a sprinkler head. How much is a pen worth? It all depends. Whose hand holds it and what the hand does with it. What is a human being worth anyway? It all depends. A disconnected human life is a waste. We must recover our connection to the spirit of Jesus Christ. The wind blows where it pleases. I close tonight, Randy, if you'll help me, I'd appreciate it. Let me close with the story of the man with the withered hand, the last part of Luke chapter 6. In the synagogue on another Sabbath, this story follows the disciples in the cornfield that were hungrier than tradition would hold them back. The first depicts abject hunger. The second depicts a man wanting power in his life. All of us need the power of God in our life. And the word says it was his right hand. Everybody say right hand. hand. You know right hand means strength. Strength. Jesus is seated on the right hand. It means strength. He has the strength of the Father in him. And that hand was withered depicting a loss of power in his life. And Jesus asked him to come and stand in the middle of the room. And he said, stretch forth your hand. And in a room full of scoffers, in a room full of tradition, and people who did not and would not understand, he steps forward and stretches forth his hand. And he is healed. And power is restored. Say amen. Some people are scared to death of the Holy Spirit. They're scared to death. They're afraid to step up and let God do something in their life. Like it's some mystery or magic or some voodoo or something. Every movie that you go to in the theater when spirits are involved brings fear and many times death in it. You know it's true. But the Holy Spirit brings joy and brings life. Because you see, the Holy Spirit isn't concocted in Hollywood. It came from heaven. He came from heaven. The Holy Spirit came from heaven. Every good, say it, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light in whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. Hallelujah. Listen, listen. The Bible said you will speak with new tongues. Don't be afraid of the language of the Holy Spirit. Start stepping forward and watch God do a work in your life. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just come with hunger and come with no fear. And it'll happen in your life. God wants to fill every person with His Spirit. You know... I'm going to make this illustration and some of you might get it and some of you might reject it. 
But when loved ones depart from us, the things that come out of our mouth are inarticulate. You know that. Grief can be so overwhelming. It's been that way in my life and it's been that way in your life. Grief can absolutely overwhelm you. And you do not offer a cerebral response to that pain. You can't. It's guttural. It's broken. It's hard to even understand or ascertain. Yet, funeral home directors know all too well what's happening. They don't call a psychiatrist. They don't try to give you drugs. They understand death for what they have seen and experienced before in it. And I've seen people so broken they couldn't make sense of what they were saying. You'd say, what? What? Do you need something? Do you want something? It's just a language. It's guttural. By the same token, when a child is born, what comes out of parents' mouths are babblings. You ought to heard us when Jennings showed up two weeks ago yesterday. We got a film of it. I don't like the way I did. I was pumped. I went by the store and got, bought a dinosaur this big, a stuffed dinosaur. And I was holding that dinosaur. He was a T-Rex and I was Rex holding T-Rex. And I was just having the time of my life seeing that baby girl, the joy of a new baby in our family. And tongues could not express what I was feeling, trying to express that joy. I'm a speaker. I'm a minister. I speak for a living. And sometimes you're just overwhelmed. You can't take it. You know what I mean. It's too, it's too awesome for you. How much more so is it when the death is mine and the birth is mine? When I die to the old man and let Jesus create a new man in me. I walked in this auditorium today to pray. I like to pray in this auditorium. I like to walk. And it was one of those days that it was just, uh, man, it was something. I'm not, I'm not trying to be spiritual. It's just something else. And I found myself just saying, ooh, 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 ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love you, God. I love you. This is so good. Thank you for a Holy Spirit-filled church. Thank you for a Spirit-led, Spirit-guided, Spirit-filled church. And then I just kind of went into this little dilly. Just, mm, yeah, mm, oh, yeah. And I stopped after a while and I thought, God, you know what I'm talking about? And God said, I got you. Because I was so excited about what was going to happen in this house tonight. Hearing about the Holy Spirit, how I can touch your life and how if you're hungry enough, tradition can't stop you. And if you need power in your life, I know where the source is. The Holy Spirit's your source. And tonight we're going to finish with communion and I just think it's so cool. I think it's so cool. I really do. Saturday after Easter we had a freedom rally here and I saw 55, 56 people receive the Holy Spirit in about 20 minutes here. 
And God said, is that what you want? Do you want that? I said, I want that, God. Nobody was out of order. Nobody was crazy. They just received the Spirit. It just happens. When you're hungry enough and you need power in your life, you'll break through tradition and say, I want that in my soul. I want that in my soul. The old man is mine. He's dying. The new man is me. He's coming alive. How much should the joy be unspeakable? You know the Bible talks about when the Spirit of God comes. It's joy unspeakable. You can't describe it. You can't describe it. The simultaneity of, of them both. Death to the old, birth to the new. So I'm telling you tonight, don't be afraid of the sound of the Spirit. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because some of you are going to get hungry enough. And you're going to get thirsty enough. And God's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You're going to do that. It's for every believer. And you need it in your life. Say amen to that. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he did all right tonight. I've heard better, but he did all right. Amen.